Hello, my friends. This is Brian Q. Davis broadcasting from the Sales Warrior Podcast, a conversation about dominating your marketplace without sacrificing your body, your marriage, your children, or your soul. And today's topic is this, return like a child. Rue is gone. Sit back and relax and let's get started. So if you've listened to the last couple of podcasts, you've known that this particular week has been a shift, a shift that began with pain and continued with massive revelations and an experience. And then yesterday, connected with more pain. As I mentioned in the previous podcast, the week, the week began with the news of the death of a friend of mine, a brother, Eric Serwin, who was killed in a car accident. That event gave me the catalyst to decide to take a trip to California to join some other friends and brothers in an experience that would honor Eric for me. And in that experience, I had a profound conversation with my Father in Heaven in a new way, in a simple way. And that was the last podcast. From that trip, I returned to my home in Dallas and got home and was on my way from DFW had arrived at about 11 o'clock early enough to still get home, get some work done, have some calls that I had scheduled, a couple of presentations, meeting, connect with the kids, everything would be good. Except when I arrived home, things were not as I had expected. Now I drove up into the driveway and was greeted by the face of my daughter, my oldest daughter in the kitchen window, waving. And then saw the rest of the, the crew coming out the, uh, the side door, our babysitter and uh, my wife and my littlest one, Perry, coming out onto the driveway to welcome me. It was like a great welcoming party. Everyone was really excited. I was excited. It was, it was just great to be home. I had had this experience. I was feeling good and still, again, had the rest of the day stacked up, ready to get like a lot of stuff done. But as I'm walking into the kitchen and after getting hugs and kisses from the family, as I'm walking into the kitchen, my wife turns and says, no, don't bring the girls in with you. They were outside with me. She says, keep them outside. Don't let them in here. And I knew exactly why. You see, if you've been following this podcast for the last last year, you also know that we've had uh, dogs. And a common theme has been the ongoing ongoing cleanup of of dogs uh, having accidents in the house. Dogs specifically that are elderly. And the last remaining dog that we had was one named Rue. R-O-U-X. Like first you make a roux. Like if you're from Louisiana, you know what I'm talking about. 
Her name was Rue, um, and Rue is a rat terrier who was 14 years old. She was my dog. She was my dog before I got married to my wife who had two other dogs, but she was mine. And as I came into the kitchen and turned the corner, I came to find Rue laying on her side, gasping for breath and clearly struggling next to her water bowl. She had probably been just getting some water. But for whatever reason had collapsed and was now in what seemed like a maybe kind of desperate situation. Now this is something we've seen before. She's had spells where she's kind of passed out and she comes back comes back too. She's literally had these little spells for years, like probably eight, seven, six, six years, maybe six, seven years. She's had these little spells periodically where she'll kind of faint and then come back, kind of come back to life. She's done it so many times, like it doesn't even alarm us anymore. But this time something seemed different. So we keep the girls outside. We, we, I, I pick up Rue and, and we decide we need to take her to the vet. She, my wife calls the vet. They say they can take her right now. The vet's only a few minutes away. Except I know that this time, like, we'd already experienced putting one, like letting one dog go, like putting one dog down. So we knew that if we took her, there was going to be, like, there was a good chance that there was there was nothing they were going to be able to do. Or if they were going to be able to do it, it was going to be you know, like more, more, more damage than it would need to be. So we take Rue outside and I bring Rue to my two daughters and they get to say goodbye. They don't fully understand, but they pet the dog and love on her a little bit. And we say goodbye. These girls have known this. This dog's been around their entire lives. We go and run and get in the car, head to the vet, get to the vet. And they bring us into a back room. They take the take Rue and they start doing kind of emergency things for oxygen. They give her a, they give her a, uh, they give her a, uh, an IV. I can hear her yelping in the back room. You know, I'm getting more and more upset. <sighs> they bring her back out and they explain the different options and the price and all this stuff. And I'm getting like, I'm getting pissed. I'm just getting like angry. They finally bring her, finally, I'm like, look, I don't want to talk to the tech. I want to talk to the vet. Just give it to me straight. Like, what's the situation? They said, yeah, she's got lots of fluid. She's got this, she's got that. We noticed something else. There may be some cancer that we hadn't noticed before and so forth. And we could do this or that or the other thing, but it would only be delaying things and it could be very painful for her. And so we knew what we had to do. And my wife said, it's like, it's like she was waiting for you. It was like she was waiting for you to get home. And then I knew that, like, my own pain had to be put aside to alleviate hers. And it sucked. 
It really sucked. It seemed like it was taking forever, so I took Rue outside. I thought, you know, if these are her last moments, I don't want her spending them under the lights of fluorescent lights in a sterile vet examination room. I took her outside where she could get some sunlight. She was yelping every so often and kind of breathing heavily. I could tell that the stent in her back leg was hurting her and that she was actively in pain, even though they said they had given her a sedative. With every yelp, it was like just stabbing me in the heart. But I just took a minute outside and just was thankful that she could get a few minutes of sunlight. And I held her there and I was thankful and I was thanking God for this gift. We went back inside and they were ready and they administered the dose, the first dose. And then they said, look, the next dose is going to stop her heart. And they administered the next dose. And uh, as stubborn as she has always been, that dog, they checked for a heartbeat and they said, no, her heart's still going ever so faintly. She lasted longer than they would have expected, but that's just her style. And then when Rue was gone. And I knew that inside of that pain, inside of that just shitty feeling, that there had to be a moment, I had to go to gratitude. I had to go to what am I, what's the message here? What am I, what gifts? What, what other gifts am I getting from, from Rue? What other gifts am I getting from God in this moment? What message is being sent? Because I've come to know that at least in this entire week, it's been nothing but messages like this. So what message is here? And just go to that and live in that place. That's, that's where I went. And so I started the journey. I thought it started the journey of back to when I first got Rue. And why did I get her? 14 years ago, in 2005, I found myself in a new condo, the very first piece of real estate that I'd ever bought in Huntington Beach, California. Bought it with a good friend of mine. And the first act after getting this new condo in Huntington Beach was that I wanted to get a dog. I didn't really want to get a dog, but there was a background story that said, you should get a dog. And there just happened to be a pet store, literally in the shopping mall, shopping kind of center next to our condo complex. I think it was like Happy Kingdom Pets. It was run by a little Vietnamese family. I decided one day, and at the time, I was a salesperson selling engineering software, constantly traveling all over the United States, 
going into all kinds of aerospace suppliers, aerospace manufacturers. It was the defense defense contractors. Like that was the game, and it was it was on the airplane all the time. So as soon as I moved in, as soon as I got this condo, I was like, well, I can't have a dog. I mean, I can have a dog, but now I can't have a dog. So I had this story that I, you know, I couldn't do it. I was traveling too much. But I still felt the call to go into the Happy Kingdom pet store. And so I found myself in there one day. And as I looked through the cages, I noticed there was this little dog that had one ear up and one ear down. And a smile on her face. Like one of the things about Rue is that she would always sneer at people she liked. She came to the glass and she was, had these big teeth, like, you know, her lips were sneered up at me and all I could see was teeth and the little Vietnamese lady, she's like, Oh no, no, no. She's not mean. She's not mean. Like she's, she's, she's happy. That's her smiling. That's her smiling. And I thought, what in the world? She's like, you want to see her? And I was like, no, no. And she brought out Rue and gave her to me, handed her to me. And it was like beautiful. I was like, this is the coolest dog ever. And I didn't, I didn't keep her. I put her back. So I thought, well, no, I can't have a dog. So I put her back. And then Four weeks later, after three weeks of travel, I thought, let me just go look and see what other kinds of dogs they have. And I went back in and sure enough, Rue was still there, except something was different. This time she had lost weight. Her little ribs were showing and she was freaking out when she saw me and the lady took her out and handed her to me. And it was, that was it. It was game over. I said, give me the leash, give me the dog food, give me the dog house, give me everything. I'm taking her with me because something told me that if I didn't take her, she wasn't going to make it. In reflection on that decision, I started to realize something. I started to realize that that was the beginning or it was an inflection point on my journey spiritually to where I am now. You see, I, at that point I was spiritually lost. Living the lifestyle of a 20 year old in Orange County, 20 something year old really living for just myself and whatever I wanted to do, go make the money and then do whatever I wanted. And I was feeling very empty underneath the shell of satisfaction. But all of a sudden, Rue came into my life and I had something else to think about. A little female dog that captured my heart. All of a sudden, 
I had to go beyond myself. I had to think about more than just myself. It was just a minor thing. It wasn't a person, but it was a gift. I didn't see it as that at the time, but I do now. Like, if I hadn't made that little decision, if I hadn't made that decision to go back and listen to the call that was given to me, there was a call that said, hey, there's a gift over here. I I interpreted it as go get a dog, but what it really was was there's a gift over here. And I went and I looked and I saw the gift and then I decided I couldn't take the gift. And then I heard the call again and I came back and I saw the gift again, except the gift was on its way to going away. And thank God that I chose in at that time. Because part of our family story is that Rue prepared me for the women that would ultimately become part of my family. Like Rue was strong-willed, super intelligent, can be vicious in all the good ways, incredibly loyal, loving, fun, funny, and just and just full of love and just full of gifts. <sighs> I realize now that that was an inflection point in my life. But I also realized that when I first thought, well, you know, that was my first like kind of moment back towards alignment. It really wasn't. It started way beyond that. It started back when when I was a little child. You see, this whole gift of thinking about losing Rue and then going back to how I got her and then why I got her got me on this train of thought, this train of investigation of this alignment these decision and inflection points that happen in our lives that give us an opportunity, a choice to align or not to align. How many times do we hear the call and yet we don't choose or we hear the call and we delay. And when we delay, we get a second chance. And then sometimes we don't take that chance. And then sometimes we do. I thought, what, what was it before we had that? What was it before we had resistance to alignment? What was it before I had resistance to alignment? When I say alignment, I mean alignment to that thing inside of us that talks to us and says, go this way. Like if you're lost and in the dark, there's a good chance that it's because you're not listening to that thing that says, go this way. If you're lost and you're in the dark, it's because you're probably just like I was two and a half, three years ago, where the only thing that was calling to me that I could hear was the number. Like that was it. Like business, everything, that's it. That's all the significance. That's the only thing that makes me worthy because everywhere else I was fucked. You couldn't see it on the outside, but on the inside, it was there. (sighs) 
Why do we have that resistance? I kept going back and I kept going back. And I thought, we don't have that resistance when we're little children. Like little children are in alignment. They hear they're in alignment from the beginning. Like we are, our natural state is alignment. And and yet when we come into this world, we automatically start drifting out outside of that. But I remembered two things. And I know this is a longer podcast, but it's been a hell of a week. So this is what you get. Thanks for sticking with me that long, this long. I, when I went back on this, I remembered two things. One is I remembered a scripture. One, it said it was from Matthew 18, three Christ says, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then there's another moment where Christ says, where there's little children being brought to Christ. He places his, for him to place his hands on them and, and pray for them. And the disciples actually rebuked those people bringing the children. And Christ says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to, to such as these. And then I remembered, I was like, okay, let me go back even further. And I've done a podcast on this too. And I realized there was a moment when I was a really small child when I had a cousin, my cousin Stephen, who was the same age as me, who died at four or five years old. I remember that it was, that it was him that told me to look up. He told me the following quote. He said, the only thing prettier than a rainbow is pink clouds. And in that moment, I looked up and that was the first time I realized and really felt felt that divinity. I remember the moment. I remember seeing the clouds, feeling God. And then immediately, of course, as we go through our life, we start to forget it. Everything else starts to cloud those moments, those moments of pureness, pure, purity and alignment. But all of this took me back to this thing about experience God as a child. And then that became my, my, my new question. Am I experiencing God as a child? Yes or no? Like when I seek God as a child, I remove everything that blocks me from him. I started thinking about this in all the domains. When I see God in my workouts, it creates a space for him where I feel no blocks. That's why my spiritual warfare protocol where I listen to scripture and I, um, and I tune into the workout as part of this somatic experience of generating power, it's a place where he's not blocked from me and it's extraordinarily powerful for me. Like 
God's commandment is to seek him as children. What does that really mean? It means to seek him without stories or limitations. Children don't believe in what's possible or not possible. Children don't believe in that there's things that God can't do. Children don't believe in or have stories of unworthiness. Children ask big. Children can actually show adults the actual way to worship. Pure of heart, open, bright. My girls show me and my wife what it is to seek and speak to God. They're constantly giving examples. Children don't put any limitations on anything. They believe anything is possible. Nothing is impossible. The path to the kingdom is illuminated through the eyes of a child. That was the revelation I wrote down in my notebook. And maybe that's what this entire week was about. Path to the kingdom, that alignment, that next version of myself, that next thing that we are all seeking, the next expression of our divinity in our body, in our marriage, in our relationship with God, and ultimately in all the business and production and sales and everything else that comes from that is down the path that ultimately is illuminated when we look at the world through the eyes of a child and seek God with the heart of one. And so once again, Rue gave me one more gift to send me down this path of inquiry that you're getting right now in this extra long podcast. Where right now in your life are you refusing to look at things through the eyes of a child? Like, and what might be possible if you did decide to look at some area or all of your life through the eyes of a child? And what would that look like? Have you considered that it would look like no limitations? Nothing's impossible. There's no question about your worthiness. And you're willing to ask really, really big. So what are you going to ask big for this week? What are you going to ask big for today? You know the formula, the conversation, listen to the previous podcast, go get your journal, ask the question, and you'll hear the answer. But just make sure to ask like a child. That's what I got for you today, my friends. This is Brian Q. Davis signing off from the Sales Warrior Podcast, a conversation about dominating your marketplace without sacrificing your body, your marriage, your children, or your soul. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for all the messages that you've sent. And please continue to connect with me on all the social media channels. It means more to me than you know. Thank you so much. More to come.